Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. I'm Lori Gottlieb. I'm the author of Maybe You Should Talk to Someone, and I write the Dear Therapist Advice column for The Atlantic. And I'm Guy Winch. I'm the author of Emotional First Aid, and I write the Dear Guy Advice column for TED. And this is Dear Therapists. Each week, we invite you into a real session where we help people confront their biggest problems and then give them actionable advice and hear about the changes they've made in their lives. So sit back and welcome to today's session. This week, a woman who loves her husband worries about his anger toward their young children and considers whether she should leave him to protect them. It's not healthy for our daughter. You need to get therapy or we're going to leave so that I can protect her. First, a quick note. Dear Therapists is for informational purposes only, does not constitute medical or psychological advice, and is not a substitute for professional healthcare advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician, mental health professional, or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical or psychological condition. By submitting a letter, you are agreeing to let iHeartMedia use it in part or in full, and we may edit it for length and clarity, in the sessions you'll hear, all names have been changed for the privacy of our guests. Hey, Lori. Hey, Guy. So what do we have in our mailbox today? So today we have a letter from a woman who's having some difficulty in her relationship, and it goes like this. Dear Lori and Guy, I'm in a really difficult position in a relationship that started off five years ago as a spontaneous whirlwind romance and has only mildly dampened with time and two young children, a three-year-old daughter and a five-month-old son. I am still in love with my boyfriend, Jake, and enjoy spending time together and as a family. The problem is that during my second pregnancy and postpartum, his parenting style towards our oldest has changed and he is quick to lash out at her verbally and emotionally. He is intolerant of her age-typical boundary testing and tantrums, and I can see the harm done by the way he handles this. Playing referee and mediator between what feels like two toddlers is exhausting, especially while caring for an infant. It's like I don't have a partner to help share the load. His nasty demeanor towards our daughter has made me think more than once that I should leave him, but paradoxically, I feel this will end up with him having more one-on-one time due to a custody agreement where I will be unable to do damage control and intervene. There's no abuse, and I recognize the value of having time with their dad, so sole custody doesn't seem realistic or healthiest. I've approached Jake about couples counseling, him getting anger management counseling, and even let him know I was considering leaving. These resulted in tears on his end and promises to try to get better, but nothing has changed. I feel paralyzed, and I'm not sure what arrangement would be best for the kids. 
I also wonder if breaking up would be healthiest for me because if I'm worrying about the kids the entire time they're with him, maybe it wouldn't be. I would greatly appreciate any help figuring this out. Sincerely, Becca. Well, it's interesting because Becca says that there's no abuse, but lashing out at children verbally is a form of emotional abuse, or certainly can be when it's harsh and it goes on over time. So I'm really glad that Jake is actually joining us today because it sounds like something we really need to talk to both parents about to get an understanding of what's going on and why and what can change there. Yeah, exactly. Emotional violence is abuse and it has long lasting effects and it can be very traumatic, especially when it's ongoing. And when it's ongoing, we call that complex trauma because it's not one event, it's multiple events happening all the time. And it sounds like Jake realizes that something needs to change, but he's having trouble doing the changing. And that's why I think it's important that we're having both of them on. Every day we see in our offices people who've had an experience in childhood in which their parents would yell at them or speak to them very, very harshly. And they're very damaged by that. So we really have to be very clear that how parents speak to their children does have a big impact. It doesn't require physical abuse to leave a scar. Let's talk to them. Yeah, let's do that. You're listening to Dear Therapist from iHeartRadio. We'll be back after a short break. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mom does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger. Talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapist anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Dear Therapist today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Dear Therapist. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. I'm Lori Gottlieb. And I'm Guy Winch. And this is Dear Therapists. So hi, Becca. Hi, Jake. Hi. Hello. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having us. So we're glad both of you are here because this is an experience that is going on between the two of you. And I think before we get to the problem that you wrote in about Becca with your daughter, 
we wanted to understand a little bit more about earlier in your relationship and how you decided to have kids. It sounds like you said it was a whirlwind. Everything happened very quickly. And since we heard from you already, Becca, Jake, why don't you tell us a little bit about your experience of early in the relationship and then the first pregnancy and first experience of being a parent? So none of it was planned. Uh, Actually, Becca called me and sprung the news on me that she found out she was pregnant. So that was a very big shock completely out of left field. When you say it was a shock, was it a good shock, a scary shock? What kind of shock? Scary for sure. I didn't really think I was going to possibly even ever have kids. It was something that wasn't really thought about that much. I was all about having fun, um, cars, motorcycles, friends. Never really gave, I guess, fatherhood a uh, serious thought. How old were you at the time? I was 25 when we met, so you would have been 29. 29? 29. Jake, how did you come to terms then, given this was such a shock? You weren't even thinking you might have kids. Now you find out you have one on the way. Tell us how you adapted to that. What was the process for you? I don't really know what the process was. Just kind of went with the flow. It was definitely scary the entire time, you know, going from possibly never having kids to all of a sudden within the next nine months or so, I'm going to have a little tiny little baby. How long had you known each other at that point? Eight or nine months. So given how new the relationship was, had the two of you talked about having a future together or was that not even on the table at that point in the relationship? Yeah, we definitely had the conversation of having a future together. Becca's lease where she was living was coming to an end and so was mine. We were starting to discuss getting an apartment together. I don't recall if that was before or after finding out about Isabella, but I did know going into her line of work that we would potentially have to be relocated at some point. And I was on board from the beginning. Jake, it sounds like you really didn't think about a future with kids. Becca, did you think about a future with kids? And if so, did Jake know that you thought about a future with kids? Yeah, I actually initially had the thought that I would have like four or five kids someday. When Jake and I met, it was, as I kind of mentioned, kind of like a whirlwind because we spent like pretty much every day together for the first six months, went on all these adventures, had a ton of fun. The idea of having kids eventually like kind of came up in a lighthearted way. Like we were looking over text messages the other day and one was (laughs) like, uh, he had messaged me like, oh, if we do have kids, they would be Gerber babies. They'd be so cute. But we never had like a serious conversation about it. And I think like from a relationship perspective, I think the first or the second night we met, I told him that I was in medical school at the time. And I was like, oh, you know, in a few months when I match, I have no control over where I go. So I don't know if we should get into anything. And he was like, oh, I'll follow you wherever you go. So I think there was like a pretty intense connection early on. So when you texted Becca about having Gerber babies together, was there a part of you that thought maybe you did want kids? I think if I was going to have them, it would have been later on. Like I said earlier, I was still having a lot of fun. I had At the time, I was living with a couple of my good friends, working Monday through Friday and Saturday and Sundays 
having a blast going on guys trips here and there and seriously thinking about settling down with a family and children was definitely way in the back of my mind. Jake, so tell me about the discussion between the two of you when you get that phone call. Since you were so blindsided by it, what was the discussion like between the two of you about the fact that this is happening and how you felt about it? It was scary, for sure, getting that information. I didn't know the first thing about kids. I didn't have any brothers or sisters. I was an only child. The closest thing to being around a baby was my cousins. And and uh, there was a lot to learn. So, Becca, tell us what happened between the two of you. It wasn't something that we'd thought that deeply about because I was on birth control. So I didn't really think it was a possibility. And I was very faithful. I had an alarm in my phone, was not planning on, on getting pregnant. So when I started having symptoms, I was away and I was like, okay, let me just take a test just to put my mind at ease. And when it was positive, I know I started crying. I called my best friend and I was like, I don't really know what to do. Should I tell Jake now or should I wait until he comes to visit next weekend? She had said, you know, if it was me, I'd probably want to know as soon as possible. So I called him and he was definitely really shocked by the news. He's normally a very talkative person and it was, it was pretty silent. But he said like, okay, um, I just need a little bit of time to think about this, but whatever you want to do. And over the next couple of weeks, when we talked, it just seemed like he was very much like, okay, balls in your court, Becca, whatever you want to do, I'm behind you 100%. So I thought about it and I decided, you know, I did want to have multiple kids and it might not be the most ideal circumstance, but I really felt like I had a great connection with Jake and could see a future together. So we talked and, and he was okay with us kind of moving forward, deciding to keep the baby. Did you understand how Jake felt or was the messaging you were getting just whatever you decide, I'm here. But did you understand more of all of the ambivalence and terror that he was experiencing? I don't think so. I don't think I knew that he was scared. I thought there might be like some remorse over like the loss of the life that he was getting to live. I got definitely the remorse for that part of his life, but I didn't know that he was scared until today, actually. <laughs> Jake, why didn't you share that with her? When she had a lot on her plate, as it was, um, going through med school, and I guess it was my burden to carry, to deal with. Definitely not one to, I guess, share my feelings and put my feelings out there quite often. I kind of bury them and just deal with it. Is it still something that you feel hesitant to share when you're having challenging feelings? Do you still hesitate to share them with Becca even now? On occasion, I just, I guess the word is suck it up and deal with it would be the best way to describe what typically. So it's a decision. In other do. words, it's a philosophy that you have that one shouldn't share. It's better for you to not let her know how you're feeling about things. I mean, certain things, if it's, you know, a big enough issue, yes, I would share. But if it's something that's going to blow over or it's, it's only a small thing, then, uh, just deal with it. So the question is whether it indeed blows over or whether over time these feelings accumulate and then they come out in other ways. 
yeah, there's definitely times where I blow up <laughs> and it comes out in, in anger for sure. Um, it's usually work related. The stresses from work definitely add up. I think I let my feelings know <laughs> pretty well about work. You let them be known because you share them with Becca or because you blow up and then it becomes apparent that something's bothering you? I'd say probably a little bit of both. Jake, I'm curious about this idea that you have that it's a burden to share your feelings with someone else and that it's better if they just kind of blow over. Was that something you learned earlier on in life? Yeah. My family isn't definitely not some a family that, I guess, shares their feelings all that often. Talking about our feelings was definitely not something that ever happened. Do you see the connection between not expressing your feelings unless it's a big deal? Do you see the connection between keeping all of those things in and the temper and then blowing up and having a short fuse? I've always had a temper. I saw a therapist quite a few years ago for my anger. And in that work, was it suggested that part of the internal pressure you might feel that, that promotes the temper might be related to the fact that you don't have this release valve because you keep things in unless they're really big? It's possible. During therapy, the big thing that ended up changing was me moving out. At the time, I was still living at my parents' house. Me and my dad butt heads quite a bit. And moving out and mm -hmm. getting out of that toxic, I guess, environment and being out with my friends for the first time made a big difference, a very big difference. But it was that that made the difference, not that you learned to regulate those feelings a little better. Correct. Becca, how much did you know about what Jake's talking about right now and the philosophy of, I don't want to burden people with my feelings and the misconception that they'll just go away if I don't talk about them? So initially, for the first like year probably, I didn't know about it. And he was actually like, very even keeled. It would come out a little bit when we would go to visit his family. And he would say like, oh, me and my dad butt heads sometimes. Even nowadays, like I'll leave like water bottles that I've drank around the house. And I didn't know until the past couple months that it was something that bothered him because he doesn't bring up those small things. So it's like, I, I kind of wonder sometimes, like, what other things do I do that bother him that he's just not saying anything about? Because in my mind, I was like, oh, nothing about me bothers this guy. <laughs> and, and he's laughing. So, Jake, it sounds like she's on the right track here, that maybe there are some other things you haven't shared with her. It would have to come up at the moment but if she did something, I guess. Uh, I can't think of anything like right off the top of my head. The water bottles. It's just just a peeve of mine just having all these empty plastic water bottles you know, open up <laughs> the nightstand and one day to put something in it and on her side and there was like six empty plastic water bottles and why can't they just be put in the recycling <laughs> they're just and it was that moment that made you bring it up with her with like it had to get to the six empty water bottles in the nightstand i don't really know how it was actually brought up it may have been somewhat recent where I cleaned up, I found a bunch of them, took them all out and then to the recycling, came back in and there was like three more sitting on the counter that she had brought back. I don't know where she pulled them out from. 
the water bottles are a great example because they're a small thing and we're laughing about it, but it happens a lot. And so that's when we talk about accumulating these kinds of feelings. You can see that if you count how many water bottles are left around, how often, it adds up to much more than just a pet peeve. And that's why when you feel this accumulation of frustrations, it is important to express and address it. I do want to go to Isabella because I want to hear, Jake, what that experience was like. The fear is very, very appropriate when you're having your first child, but were you also excited? How did it feel when she was born, when you were holding her? I'd like to hear about your experience. Yeah, it was, it was exciting. As scary as it was, it was nice. Had no idea what I was getting into, but she was this perfect little thing. I, I have a, a selfie that I took in the hospital holding her and her eyes are open staring at the camera and it just, yeah, it was a, it was a nice moment. I, I actually vividly remember my dad, he was out in the waiting room for quite a few hours once they found out that the baby was coming. And I remember walking out to him, telling him that she was here and just breaking down and crying. And so these bursts of anger toward Isabella, they weren't happening until your son was born or were they also happening periodically before he was born? Periodically. I know she's just a toddler, but when she knows better, she's sometimes will look at you and smile, even though you tell her no, and she will just look at you and smile and do it anyway. And then she just drives me nuts. Toddlers do that because that's how they learn. They test the limits all mm -hmm. the time to see what's allowed and what isn't. And it requires a lot of repetition. So those limits have to be reinforced over and over again. And when she looks at you and smiles, she's almost like signaling you, I'm about to test the limit here. So let's see yeah. what you do. Can you give me an example, Jake, when you do have an outburst with Isabella? What does that look like? It's yelling. I get loud. I get very frustrated. And say what? Instead of just saying, I need you to clean these up, I would just say that at a much louder yelling volume. I don't like messes. And when there is a big mess, that frustrates me. And I will say, what the... And start cleaning it up. Why did you do that? I don't have a sensor. And I would say probably, what the F? Why did you, why did you do that? And I'm in just a very angry manner. And how does she react when you yell at her like that? Sometimes she just gets quiet and sits there. There's been other times where she's laughing, which gets me even more frustrated. And then there's other times where uh, you could definitely tell she feels guilty or upset about it, and then she'll start crying. And I continue to be mad in this situation. And then once the situation has been resolved, whether it's cleaning it up or whatever the case is, is when I get out of seeing red uh, and take a step back and realize she's just a toddler. And I will hold her and give her a hug and tell her I'm sorry. And, um, and she'll it's okay. You have this phrase, rupture and repair. And so when there's a rupture, whether that's in a relationship between adults or between parents and children, it's not just 
that a rupture happened, but then how does it get repaired? And it sounds like you attempt to repair it with Isabella. But the problem is that it happens frequently enough that she might not trust the repair. And she might not also be able to really tell you how she feels in those moments. So she says, it's okay almost to make you feel better. But I'm guessing that it has a bigger effect on her and that it's probably not so okay with her. And so I'm wondering about when this first started happening and Becca, you saw it and you told Jake that you weren't comfortable with it. How did those conversations go in the very beginning? And then how have they evolved over time? So in the beginning, I wouldn't talk to him about it in front of Isabella. Sometimes it would be like I would hear him yelling and I would come from another room and then help to kind of facilitate the repair part. And then at a later point, I would talk to Jake and be like, hey, like that wasn't okay. That probably really hurt her. And he would say, you know, I know I'm sorry it happened. I'm going to work really hard and I won't do it again. What did that mean, work really hard? You mean, Jake, on your own or going to therapy? On my own. Try to think before reacting. Mm -hmm. Did you ever get any tools for that from your earlier therapy or just maybe some research you did or a book you read or anything like that? No. You try counting. Yeah, I do have every so often. Just take a deep breath and count to maybe 10 and try to de-escalate. Mm-hmm. Does that help at all? Yes, sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so when you hear Becca saying this, what is it like for you when Becca brings this up to you, that she's uncomfortable with the way that you're reacting to Isabella? Frustrating. I know I, I need to change for sure. It's disheartening, you know, knowing that I'm not making, I guess, Becca happy, and I know the damage it's potentially doing to Isabella. What is the damage you think it might be doing to Isabella? The mental damage she might have later in life. I have noticed recently, I feel like very recently, that she's starting to have a little bit of a temper and reacting to scenarios the way I would react to scenarios. And I have actually told her not to be like me in these scenarios to be more like mom. Right. But that doesn't really work when you're modeling for her that it's okay to react in anger because here I do it frequently. Then you can say, oh, you shouldn't do it, but you're actually teaching her. Right. Which, and this is something I've just noticed probably within the past two weeks. That was a big eye opener for sure. What happened in the last two weeks? I personally have noticed how she's been reacting to certain scenarios And what does that change for you that you're noticing that she's imitating you? Sad to say, but that's so far nothing. Why not? I don't have an answer for that. I don't know. You butt heads with your father. Did your parents yell at you? No, no, no. My, uh, the, the reason my dad and I butt heads so much is he loves getting under people's skin. Like if he knows something is bothering me, he will just dig and dig and dig until I explode. So you're the one who explodes, but he doesn't. Yes. And then once I explode, then it's me and him yelling at each other. 
So the anger management that you felt you needed in your early 20s Mm -hmm. when you went to a therapist, what precipitated that? What was going on in your life where you felt like, I really need to understand this better? A previous relationship uh, said if if I didn't do something about it and see a therapist, then she was leaving. And did you agree that maybe it was problematic what was going on? Or did you just go because you didn't want to lose her? I just went. So you didn't think it was really problematic at the time, like you do now, because now you're saying you do. Mm -hmm. Are you saying that now, Jake? Do you think that it's problematic now? Yeah, yeah, definitely. What's different between now and then before you didn't think it was problematic, but now you do? What's changed for you? The kids. Seeing the way Isabella is reacting to things now, it's definitely the kids. Does this happen with your son too? I know he's five months, but does it happen with him at all? Yeah. Crying. Crying is just, just gets under my skin incredibly. And Isabella was, she very rarely cried. She was just always this happy baby. And then Dean, he was just constantly crying. And it was definitely frustrating. It's interesting, Jake, because the two things that you've mentioned that really frustrate you are crying and messes. And you have a baby (laughs) and a toddler. (laughs) And a wife with a water bottle problem. So it's really, it's a deadly combination. I'm joking about it. But truly, it seems that if those are the sensitivities you know, there's just fertile ground to be frustrated a lot. Now, you said that you do take it seriously now. You do recognize now that it's a problem and very recently. So I'll give you that. But even in the recent couple of weeks where it's occurred to you more, have you thought of doing any research? You know, Laurie asked if you read any books or read any articles. Is that something you've thought about acquiring tools? Because Part of the problem you have is you have no tools. You have the, you know, count, but that's it. Otherwise, it's just uh, strain and hope it doesn't come out, which is not a tool. Have you thought about looking for tools, discussed that with Becca, perhaps, over the past couple of weeks? I have not. I'm thinking about what these conversations might look like between the two of you, because it sounds like they've come up quite a bit. You're nodding, so yes, okay. Sometimes when we have a lot of feelings, we go numb. And what I'm hearing with you, Jake, is that there's almost like something isn't going in because I imagine that maybe you go a little bit numb. And people are confused about numbness. Often they think, if I go numb, I'm not feeling anything. But numbness isn't the absence of feelings. Numbness is a sense of being overwhelmed by too many feelings. We can't process all the feelings and we go numb. I'm wondering, Becca, from your perspective, What is it like when you're trying to talk to Jake about this? And in your letter, you said you've tried various ways of of setting boundaries around it, like we should go to therapy or you should go to anger management or I might leave you. So, Jake, you're saying you go numb in these conversations pretty much, that you don't really have a sense of what you're feeling when she's talking about it. And Becca, I'm wondering for you, what is it like when you're talking to Jake And it seems like maybe it's not being received by him. Invalidating and really frustrating because 
I feel like there should be an emotional reaction and that there should be some openness. And I suspect that he is really motivated deep down and is hurt by the fact that he's like lashing out and potentially damaging Isabella and our relationship. But when I don't get anything out of him except for I'll try harder, it hurts. It makes me feel like he doesn't care. And then I actually like didn't know about the therapy they had gone to before. And it's just a little hurtful to hear that like that person saying that she might leave would lead to him being like, okay, I'm going to go get therapy. But me saying it's not healthy for our daughter, you need to get therapy or we're going to leave so that I can protect her resulted in like, I'm not going to get therapy. I'm just going to try harder. You know, I'm looking at your face, Jake, and I see so much coming across your face right now. As I was looking at your face, there were these conflicting emotions running through you, and they probably lasted a millisecond because you don't want to feel them. So you have become very skilled at getting rid of them as soon as they show up. And on the one hand, I could see the pain. I could see the pain of I'm hurting these people that I love. I could see the pain of I don't want to lose my wife. I don't want to damage my daughter. And I imagine, too, that there's a part of you that's hard to acknowledge, which might be this fantasy, which I don't, I don't think you actually want to come true. But sometimes we have fantasies about these things when we feel really trapped and stuck of, and maybe it would be a relief. Maybe I would get that freedom that I really wanted because now I have two kids. And in your letter, Becca, you were saying it really escalated during your second pregnancy and the postpartum. Now there's really a lack of freedom with the two young ones. And that there's a part of you, Jake, that doesn't know what to do with this real need. And it's a legitimate need to have some kind of freedom, especially when this came at a time in your life when you weren't expecting to have to give it up. And you're nodding, so I can see that that's true too. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to be able to talk about all the different ingredients here and not just what you think Becca wants to hear but what the truth of your experience is, because I actually think that will help you to manage your anger differently. And so I'm wondering if we could try a little exercise here right now where you guys can talk about this a little bit differently. Are you guys willing to try that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So if you can face each other and if you can hold hands with each other, I wonder if Becca, you can show Jake that you can tolerate the truth of his experience, all of it. So Jake, I'm wondering if you could tell Becca a little bit about the conflict that you're experiencing of, on the one hand, wanting to be a really good father and a really good partner, and on the other hand, feeling really ripped off and feeling like sometimes it just feels really unfair and sometimes you need a break. And you don't quite know what to do with all of these feelings, and you don't even know how to talk to Becca about them. Can you share whatever's going on with you in your own words with her? And Becca, I just want you to breathe through this. You don't need to respond. You just need to be present so that you can open up a space between you for the truth. Like we've 
discussed. I used to have me time uh, ever since the new job. I don't ever get any time. I love you guys. And we do have a lot of fun together. There's definitely times that I definitely want to run away. <laughs> There's no way, no doubt about it. But I will always be here. I don't ever want to go away. I love you guys. Could you say, Jake, a little bit about how it feels in those moments where you want to run away? Talking about feelings. One thing I don't like doing. <laughs> I want to reframe that for you a little bit because mm -hmm. I think that you're not comfortable doing it, but I don't know yet whether you like doing it. Because I have a feeling that once you get comfortable talking about your feelings, you will like it very much because it will help you to have a place to go with them instead of doing what you're doing with them now. And Becca, watch out because he might start talking a lot about his feelings in the future once he realizes how much he likes it. <laughs> <laughs> the times that I want to just run away, I think of the days having fun what could have been without kids, the traveling, the adventures. I feel like my time was cut short and it just wasn't ready to give up the nights out with the boys and the trips. When Isabella is frustrating you and you have those thoughts about, oh, I got robbed of this, you're juxtaposing feeling really free and liberated and fun, but you're juxtaposing that with feeling in that moment, what? Is it trapped? Is it suffocated? Is it stressed? Is it sad? I'm just giving you different words, but I want you to try and use your own mm -hmm. words to describe the feeling. It's sad was the one thing that you said that definitely definitely feel sad sorry for myself self-pity mm -hmm. i know i'm being selfish that's a judgment but going back to the feelings you talked about feeling sad i'm associating the sadness with grief that you're grieving this idea of this part of your life that you didn't get to really complete in the way you wanted to. And that sometimes, because you aren't able to really talk about the grief, when something is right in front of you that reminds you of what you lost, that that triggers that big reaction in you. Is that what happens for you? <laughs> I don't know. What happened when I just said that? I was just thinking that I love you. Well, not you. <laughs> but do you see how, how you, how you got distracted from the feeling? Yeah. Yep. Yes. You said sometimes it frustrates you that when you're yelling at Isabella, she laughs. And when I just made you a little bit uncomfortable by asking you to think about your feelings, <laughs> you laughed. <laughs> <laughs> 
So I want you to think about that next time you're yelling at Isabella and she laughs, it means she's uncomfortable. She's feeling something, but wants to get rid of it, just like you're doing right now. So let's go back for a second to that feeling. I imagine that there's some grieving that you haven't done around the loss of this version of this time in your life that would look a little different. And when Isabella does something or the baby is crying, that's a stark reminder of what you have lost. And so I imagine that it brings up those feelings of grief and loss and you get really angry because these are unprocessed feelings of grief and loss. So when you said sad, I can see that because that's grief. That's the sadness. So you're nodding to that. Does that resonate with you? Yes. Yes. Jake, I think part of what blocks you from talking to Becca about these feelings, about feeling the loss, about feeling sad, is what you said afterwards. Well, that feels selfish. And I'm wondering if you realize that Becca must be having some of the same feelings because her days of independence were also cut short in that way. Has it occurred to you that these might be feelings she's having as well to some degree? No, it did not. And they might not be exactly the same feelings, but she probably has her own experience of parenthood where it's very challenging, especially if she's still in medical school or doing residency or starting out. Becca, can you talk to Jake a little bit about the various experiences you've had as a new parent? Yeah. So when Isabella was born, I had this idea of kind of the mom I was going to be a super mom, like that I could handle residency and I could be this great mom and do both things a hundred percent. And it's been tough realizing that like there is a version of myself in residency and like at work that I could have been if I didn't have kids and like a level of devotion I could have thrown myself in. And at the same time, like if I didn't have residency or commitment to like this line of work, there's a version of myself that like a mom version of myself I could be for Isabella and for Dean and kind of feeling like I'm always falling short in both places. That's been, been really tough. Jake, what is it like for you to hear that she also struggles with imagining these different versions of her life? If she didn't have kids, how she would perform at work if she didn't have work, how she would be as a parent. Did you know that you had that in common, these fantasy lives that you think about sometimes? No, didn't know. I want you to be happy. So it's definitely uh, very sad to hear that you also have, uh, I guess, this conflict or battle of what could be. Is it also a little bit of a relief to know that both of you, like many new parents, have struggled? Yeah, yes. Most new parents have moments where they wish there was an eject button that they could smack. 
because it's just so much. And it's not unusual and doesn't mean they don't love their kids. It just means it can be really overwhelming. And the thing, Jake, is that most of the feelings that you're describing are normative. There's nothing unusual about them, especially when a pregnancy is unplanned. But I think there's a way in which you feel that you shouldn't have these feelings or it's selfish of you to have these most natural of thoughts. And so I'm glad you say that you feel this relief to hear that Becca has her version of those feelings, as do most parents. And therein is the benefit of sharing your feelings. You get to find out that your partner has similar ones and that there's something that actually unites you in these feelings rather than divides. You're nodding, I'm saying that, but is that how it feels to you? Yes, yeah. Becca, can you tell Jake what it was like to hear all of that from him? Really refreshing. So I feel like it's a treat whenever I get to hear kind of like that deep of stuff from you. <laughs> Did you feel that he was selfish when you heard that? Or what was your impression of, of his fantasy of sometimes wanting to hit the eject button, as Guy said? I didn't think it was selfish. I could like identify with mm-hmm. it. <laughs> kind of like mirrored like feelings that I've had before. And I feel like, you know, Jake would be somebody safe that I could talk to that about and not have to worry about being judged. And I'm glad to know that he can say that to me, that we're both feeling that sometimes. Jake, have you ever shared this kind of feeling with anybody? Not just about having kids, but something that felt really shameful to you or something that made you feel not good about yourself? No, I don't think so. Mm. So this is a new experience. Yeah, yes. I think part of what might hold you back, Jake, is quite, quite basic in what it is. And I think that is that you have trouble, like many people, identifying what you feel, but specifically putting a name to it. It was difficult for you to come up with those names because it's a a mush of feelings. You know, you're feeling something, but you're feeling it in your chest and your throat and your shoulders and your stomach, and it's difficult to tell which is which and what is what. But the more practice you have naming those feelings, the more fluent you get at being able to do that. And I think that it's one of the things that's been holding you back that you just worry that you don't have the words. You might not be able to identify exactly what you're feeling, but even if you can, it's hard to put words. Yeah, you nailed it. (laughs) Not having the words. What you just said was perfect. Becca, how confident do you feel with your ability to name your feelings, identify them, speak about them, label them? (laughs) I feel very comfortable. (laughs) I know some people for kids, they want them to be like very smart. So they'll work with them on like math and letters and stuff. But for me, it's like identifying emotions. So with Isabella, like she can tell you why she's feeling how she's feeling. So what does Isabella say after these incidents happen where Jake is angry with her? Does she talk to you, Becca, or does she talk to you, Jake, about what she feels? Does she have the vocabulary to do that? I would say yes. What does she actually say? Like she knows when I'm upset that it's with work and 
she will come over and actually tell me how I'm feeling. I see you're upset, daddy. Maybe a hug will make you feel better and she'll give me a hug. And on the one hand, that's, that's very cute because she's little and it also shows empathy. But it's also possible that she does that because she knows that when daddy is upset, daddy can get really mad. Yeah. And so I want you to see both sides of that, that she may feel like she needs to regulate you so that you don't lash out at her. Makes sense. And so I'm wondering, maybe with Becca, since Becca, you say you're a little bit more fluent with feelings. Does she ever say to you, I was scared of daddy or I'm really mad at daddy or I was really sad. Does she ever talk about her experience of being yelled at with you? Yeah, all three of those. She usually doesn't spend a lot of time talking about it, but she'll like, I was sad when daddy yelled at me and I don't know why he yelled at me. And we'll kind of talk about, oh, this is where daddy was coming from and this is where you were coming from. And, you know, daddy's taking some space right now because that's how he calms down to feel better or what would feel good for you. And then I'll end up telling Jake how Isabella is feeling and then he'll go and do the like repair work you mentioned earlier. Do you ever say to Isabella that even though daddy was upset that it's not okay that he yelled at her? I do, but I don't know how much of that gets through. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell her like, she's not responsible for daddy getting mad and that she's still a good kid and everybody gets mad sometimes. And that there's another way to deal with our anger when we get mad that we can use a different voice to express what we're upset about. I'll have to keep that in my toolbox to say next time. Jake, now that you're seeing how much of an impact this has on Isabella, not only now, but might have on her as she grows up, I'm wondering when Becca says, hey, we could go to therapy or you could do some anger management or... Even, I don't know if we can stay, if this is going to go on. Sounds like all three things have happened. What do you think is keeping you from doing something that might be helpful, not just for the other people, but mostly for you? Lazy? Don't want to put in the work? I don't think people are really lazy. I think that people avoid things and then they look like they're lazy. So I'm going to say it a different way. Why are you avoiding dealing with this? Given how high the stakes are. And how long you've been dealing with it. I keep telling myself that I can fix it myself. But you know that that's not been the case. So that's, again, a way that we avoid is we lie to ourselves. It's really easy to tell ourselves Mm -hmm. what we want to hear so we can avoid doing the thing that we need to do. I have a theory about why you might be avoiding this. And that's because of that conflict we were talking about earlier between the part of you that feels ripped off and the part of you that wants to be a part of this family. And I think that there's a part of you that isn't even in your awareness that feels like if I go deal with this, then 
I'm giving in to this life and I don't get to hold on to any part of that other life. At least when I'm acting out, that part of my life is alive. And I want to suggest that there might be other ways to keep that other part of your life alive and also do things in your life that might give you more balance. I know within the next few months, things are going to get significantly better. We get to move back home with all of our friends and family. Where we are now, we have no support systems. Mm. We'll have grandparents only 15 minutes away instead of two hours away. Friends only five, 10 minutes away instead of two hours away. And I already know the, the job I'm in now, I am resigning from this position because it's just not healthy. Having our friends and family and going back to the job that I enjoyed doing, a lot of that will change. It's definitely will. And being without a support system is especially difficult when you have two young kids and a newborn. But Jake, I wanted to offer you another theory about why you might not have sought help. Um, well, number one, you did in the past, and it doesn't sound like you walked out with a lot of tools from that experience. And a lot of times when people, and especially men, have issues with anger management, they think that they just need to learn to hold it in better, that they just need to get that better cork that will stuff it in and then it won't come out. And right now you don't know how to get a better cork. It's very difficult to understand a nonlinear relationship between talking about your feelings of frustration, loss of the bachelorhood. How is that related to, you know, me having the temper or keeping it in about the water bottles or the messes, you know, and I think that part of what makes you hesitate is you just don't understand or know what possible tools can people give me that will actually help me other than me just needing the willpower to not explode. And I'm wondering if that's something that's going on with you, that you just don't quite know what that help could even be or that doesn't quite make sense to you. And so I feel it'll just come down to me needing to not, and I'm trying to not anyway, so what else can I do? Yeah, I can definitely relate with that, especially the court scenario. That's how I feel like I could just need to try harder to suppress the anger. Becca, you've talked about thinking you don't know how long you can keep going in this situation. Where are you with that right now? I feel conflicted. Because I want to believe that, like, once we move back and there's more balance, that everything will get better. But I feel this, like, ambivalence because, for me, I want to stay with Jake. And I want us to be a family and be together forever. And I'm happy. But then, as a mother, seeing the impact that it has on Isabella... It makes me feel like to do what's best for her in the times when the anger does get pretty bad, that it'd be better if like 
Jake was just like a part-time parent. And I feel like those two parts of me fight a lot. Can I ask you, Jake, if we flashed forward several decades, Isabella and Dean are really struggling in their lives. They're struggling with how they feel about themselves. They're struggling in their friendships, in their romantic relationships. They may be numbing themselves with certain things like drugs or alcohol. Maybe they are able to tell you, you hurt us constantly when we were growing up. How would you feel about your life choices several decades on if that were the case? Horrible. Do you understand that that's the potential path you're on? I do now. So, Becca and Jake, we have some advice for you, and it's in several parts. Part one is this. There's this wonderful tool that we love called the feelings wheel or the emotions wheel. And it's just that. It's a wheel with a lot of different emotions on it. We'd like you to print one out. They're very easy to find online. And we'd like you every evening when you have literally five minutes, each of you take turns. Jake would like you to start and just talk about your day and name at least five feelings that correspond to your narrative. You don't have to know them ahead of time. You just look at the wheel when you know what you're feeling inside, but you can't articulate it. You look at the wheel and just when I gave you multiple choice, you said, yes, this one, yes, this one. That's how the wheel functions. You, you look at it and go, oh, right, it's this. But we'd like you every day to have five minutes where each of you just talk about each other's days using and naming your feelings. So that's the first one. The second assignment we're giving you is, Jake, we want you to Google two articles about the effects of yelling at your kids. And find it from reputable sources, the Mayo Clinic, WebMD, and we'd like you to read just a couple of short articles and then tell Becca what you've learned from them so that you can have a conversation and have discussions about the impact of yelling at your kids. So that's not something you're ignoring, that you're really talking about as you're trying to control the anger. What is the impact of yelling at your kids at young ages? Okay. And we think that that'll give you a good foundation for the next exercise, which is that, Becca, we would like you to write a letter as if it's decades in the future from Isabella and Dean to Jake about what their lives are like and what the effect of this yelling has had on them if it continues the way that it does. And we're going to imagine for this letter that it did. And please don't try to protect his feelings because. Isabella and Dean will not try to protect his feelings. Kids who are yelled at will be very clear usually later in life about the impact that it had on them. And Jake, what we would like you to do is write a letter back when you get that letter to your children who are now adults about what you wish you had done differently, if indeed you do. And really be open and honest, just as open and honest as you were with Becca in the conversation today about other feelings. 
we want you to be really open and honest with them about how it feels to you knowing that this is how they feel as adults, given that the yelling didn't stop. And the good news about this is it's not actually happening in the future. You have a chance to do things differently should you so choose. And the last part is that we would like you to learn a little bit more about anger management because it sounds like you don't really have tools that have worked for you. So we would like you to join an anger management group. And I know that your time is limited. So there are also lots of online options where you can just zoom into the group. And we would like you to give it a try to see what it's like to hear other people talk about their experiences because you are definitely not alone in this. Lots of people had modeling where they didn't know there was another way to manage their feelings and often they couldn't identify their feelings, which is something that you noticed in our conversation today. That sometimes, like I said, you just don't know what the words are for the feelings. And the one thing that's really easy to access is anger. So if we can get underneath that, you might be able to have some tools that will be helpful for you. And maybe that'll help you take away some of the shame around it, realize you're not alone, and then get some really good information about what might be helpful. Okay. Thank, Thank you, Lori and Guy. You know, some couples can't do what they did, which is talk about something that's really difficult and then still stay connected. Yeah. And they were still holding hands, even when some of the content was difficult to hear. They stayed present for each other. And I think the challenge for Jake is really the dissociating that he does. He knows intellectually that what he's doing is damaging to his children. And then he comes up with all kinds of reasons why it's not a priority for him. And I think that when he gets more in touch with his feelings, and I think really not being able to avoid what the future might look like, because when I brought that up at the end, he finally said, yeah, I get it. Mm -hmm. We don't know if he really gets it, but it was the first time that he acknowledged that he does. Right. And I also agree that he kind of knows intellectually that it's a problem, but that's why we gave him that research assignment, because he really needs to be clear that it is a problem. It's not a maybe. It's not a, oh, you know, I was okay somehow. Yeah. It's not, it's not just the tone when we talk to our kids, it's the content as well. And he, and he was saying that he says, what the F to her. And as parents, we all have times when it, it wasn't our finest parenting moment. But when it's consistent in the way that they're describing, it's really important for him to understand the effect that it's going to have on his children and, and that it is having on his children. You're listening to Dear Therapists. We'll be back after a short break. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes 
and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. So, Guy, we heard from Becca and Jake, and I'll be curious to hear how that went for them. Hey, Lori. Hey, Guy. This is Becca and Jake. Hello. Uh, We're getting back in touch just to update you on the assignments you gave us last week. For the feelings chart, we went over that every night, and I feel like it sparked a lot of good conversations. Yeah, I feel like it added some depth to our conversations, and I did notice that Jake just kind of in normal day-to-day conversations, talked more about feelings, especially other than just anger and frustration. So I can already see that paying off. For the second one, which was looking up the effects of yelling, I feel like Jake, uh, it was difficult for him to confront that. I felt like he avoided it most of the week and it did lead to some nagging on my end. He ended up finding a really good um, series on YouTube that talked about it and... I think it really piqued his interest to keep looking for more. So he suggested doing this five-day Stop Yelling at Your Kids uh, parenting challenge. So we're starting that, feeling optimistic about that. For the next assignment where I was writing the letter from Isabella and Dean's perspective, it was challenging because there were so many different effects that the yelling can have. So kind of encompassing everything in that was a little difficult. So I did send that over to Jake and I think it was tough for him to read and might not have been the most impactful. Like, I wonder if he needs something a little more concrete and tangible. It was difficult for me to put myself in the headspace of pretending to be in the future. And it didn't really resonate for me. As for the anger management classes, I'm not quite ready to jump into that yet. And I know I need to find coping mechanisms, which led me to a YouTube channel. So I'm going to start there and see how that works for me. Overall, this has created some moments of conflict in a relationship that weren't there before. But I feel like it's definitely an area where we can grow. And the couple of things that have happened since then, it's really helped me be more empathetic to see where Jake's coming from and where his mind's might be at because I have a better idea now. One of the quotes that really stuck out to us in the parenting resource we were looking at was by Maya Angelou. And it goes, do the best you can until you know better than when you know better, do better. So I feel like at this point, we're just getting to a place where we're building our knowledge and hopefully that'll lead to doing better in the future. Thank you again for all of your help and for taking the time to work with us on this. Thank you. Bye. Well, that reinforced a feeling I had during the session 
that Jake was really starting from square one when it came to this understanding of how yelling at the kids can impact them, how his being in touch with his own emotions or being able to express them or not is impacting him. He really didn't see that connection at all. And now he's starting to create some kind of connective tissue in his mind between these things, primarily by using the feelings chart. But I am a little disappointed that he didn't take more ownership of the anger and take more ownership of some of these tasks and really dive in. I think when we do these sessions, we want to hold the hope for their growth. And at the same time, it can be disappointing. And I think in this case, when other people are affected like children, it's really hard to have patience for the change to happen because you know that as this is going on, this is really affecting the children. And I think Becca is perhaps in a little bit of denial too, because she said this week brought up some conflict between them that she didn't know was there. And yet it seemed like it had been there or she wouldn't have written that letter to us. And I noticed too that she did most of the talking for Jake. And so it seemed like she was sort of driving this and hoping that something would change, but it's really going to have to come from a place of Jake wanting to change. And there's something going on with Jake where he's sort of compartmentalizing things, where he said, I couldn't really get into the space of that letter from the future. He's always got a reason that something isn't going to work in terms of helping him to grow and change in this area. And I noticed too that they sometimes laugh through this, and I know it's uncomfortable laughter, but it feels like something is going to need to happen, not just with Jake, but also with Becca, where they're really going to have to have a reckoning around this behavior has to stop and what are we going to do? Because I don't think that they're really acting with the urgency that this deserves. I agree. But I also think, as I said, that he's starting from such an early point that if he warms up to it, if he gets interested in these YouTube videos that he's watching that a curiosity can build that might get him there. But that will depend on him doing it independently and really owning it at some point rather than Becca just pushing him. And I think the other piece is that when we're seeing a couple, it's generally two people have an issue. So it might look like one person has an issue, but somebody else is colluding with the issue. And here it's Becca. Becca really is afraid to take a stand. And while it's important that she have empathy for whatever he might be dealing with, she's not setting boundaries. And I think that it's really important for Becca to look into herself, Becca, if you're listening, to think about what boundaries you want to set for yourself, because it takes two to work on a problem like this. Next week, we're going to check in with Nicole from season two to hear how she's doing a year later. She was basically saying, I can't be with him anymore. I don't even like him anymore. I don't think I'm in love with him. I don't even want to have sex with him anymore. If you're enjoying our podcast, don't forget to subscribe for free so that you don't miss any episodes. And please help support Dear Therapists by telling your friends about it and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Your reviews really help people to find the show. If you have a dilemma you'd like to discuss with us, email us at laurieandguy at iheartmedia.com. Our executive producer is Noel Brown. We're produced and edited by Josh Fisher. 
Additional editing support by Helena Rosen, John Washington, and Zachary Fisher. Our interns are Ben Bernstein, Emily Gutierrez, and Silva Lifton. And special thanks to our podcast fairy godmother, Katie Kurek. We can't wait to see you at our next session. Dear Therapist is a production of iHeartRadio. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org.